Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is Three in a Bar, a podcast where we are joined by a different musician every episode. I'm Seb Philpot. And I'm Verity Simmons. I play the trumpet. And I play the cello. Our guests could be from any part of the music world. We've spoken to pop stars, composers, orchestral musicians, singers, musical theatre performers and lots more. We chat about their careers, ambitions and get a glimpse into what makes each musician unique. Shall we sing the song? Oh, don't make me sing the song. Three, three in a bar. Hey, I tell you what, auto-tune is a wonderful thing. Three, three in a bar. Come on, Seb. First round's on me. Hi. Hi. I've got a green tick by me. That's very good news, isn't it? That's generally a good thing. <laughs> I've got one too. Oh, there we go. Both healthy then. Nice. Your, vi- your video's frozen a bit. but Oh, has it? Oh, no, you're back. You're back. I think it might be me. I was just being very still. <laughs> <laughs> Unnervingly so. Oh, good. Well, should we start the show? Yeah, let's do that. Another week, another podcast. That's right. Yeah. Two. Two in two weeks. Yeah, it's like 2020 again. <laughs> with what? a lot more freedom <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean although actually my diary is looking pretty similar actually to, uh, to March. <laughs> <laughs> mine too no. no government payments though <laughs> oh um yeah i like this i like this workload yeah i mean at the moment it feels like we could keep this up one podcast a week forever i know exactly why does everything feel just so straightforward now <laughs> <laughs> I haven't been it's gritting good, my teeth it. or anything. It's great. I'm really happy. <laughs> I'm enjoying this January freedom. Yeah. Yeah. It's nice. What we need is basically some big, big funder, don't we? Somebody, I, I mean, personally, I need like a big lottery win or something. Just so this is how I could live my life. Yeah. I think someone, if anyone wants to sponsor the show, I mean, please. Yeah. Step right up. What would we do though? Would we? We'd have to not do other stuff though wouldn't we no we could just be very selective mm. <laughs> i don't know are you selective now <laughs> um, do you do any old oh have cello will travel no i'm no somewhere in between the two things i think how about you <laughs> you selective well I, I guess over the years it's it's whittled down to what i do now and i do i enjoy everything i do now so yeah yeah, no, I I do. Um, so that's good. <laughs> that is good. <laughs> don't, don't mean to brag. <laughs> no, no, it's excellent. I just still like the idea of a big funder. Come on. Yeah. Let's not put them off. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I don't get asked to do bad gigs anymore. Like, um, I don't be ungrateful. Like, you know, like uh, those, the gigs you do when you're, you know, you call them a shig sometimes. Or um, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Those yeah, like times have moved on since those days, haven't they? Choral society gigs. Yeah. 
which um, I mean, for the people in the Choral Society, they're great. They love them, but they're yeah. not the best gigs in the world. No, but and I don't, don't you look to do back? Anything like that anymore? No, not me neither. But sometimes I look back with nostalgia on those days. You know, where you traipse out to some posh town on the outskirts of London for about twelve pounds fifty. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh. spend all, all day walking around the high street. <laughs> yeah. And uh, spend your fee. Yeah. In, That's um, right. Greg's. <laughs> and um, then um, do, do a very average performance of Mozart Requiem. <laughs> yes. and get the train home <laughs> with everyone. <laughs> oh, they were the days. Oh, those are the days. Actually, do you know what? I don't feel that nostalgic now we've spoken about it. <laughs> It's all good. I'm very happy how life is now. <laughs> You've got to go through those those gigs, though. They're, they're formative, yeah. aren't they? That's where you meet Absolutely. everyone. Yeah, it's great. Um, well, shall, we, uh, shall we let everyone in on who are <laughs> at the end? Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs> shall we introduce today's guest? Oh, that's a really good idea, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> who is it, Seb? Um, <laughs> we cut up our sleeve. It is British-Chinese composer Alex Ho. Yes. Winner. When did we the... see Alex? Sorry, you were going to tell, tell us all about him, and I no, want to know when fine. we saw him. When did we see <laughs> Alex? Do you remember? We saw Alex. It was a while back, was it? Was yeah, it November? November. Yeah, I think so. Middle of November. Blimey. How and, time has um, flown by. It was a busy time, wasn't it, back then? Yeah, it was. It was. We squeezed um, it in. We went to premiere. PR, their their headquarters in, in central London. That's right. Yeah. They kindly set this all up because that week he had a very big performance which was happening, which he was just about to go up to in Manchester. Gorton Monastery. So just outside Manchester. It's where Manchester Camerata are based. And they were putting on a site specific piece that he'd been commissioned to write. Yeah, so we chatted to him quite a bit about that, but he's all round fascinating guy. Have you got his biography? I feel like you've got his biography and you were ready to read it before I cut in on you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got it. I got it here. Put it here. I won't read it all out because it's, uh, it's quite long, but it says <laughs> winner of the Critics Circle Young Artist Award 2021, Alex Ho, born 1993, is a British Chinese composer based in London whose music and stage works have been described as menacing and poetic by The Guardian and oh. a remarkable experience by Schmopera. Schmoppera? Is that like Schmigadoon? <laughs> Schmigadoon. <laughs> Is that Doug Bestman's latest hit? <laughs> That's uh, series three. Uh, he wrote an anti-opera called Untold. He won the George Butterworth Award 2020. He is the recipient of the PRS Composers Fund 2022, the RPS Drummond Funds 2023, and is a BBC Music Magazine subscriber. There is no, <laughs> rising star 2022. There is no stopping that guy. That's, that's a lot of things. Well done, Alex. He's, he's had works commissioned by the London Symphony Orchestra, the Shanghai Philharmonic Orchestra, the London Philharmonic Orchestra, BBC Radio 3, the Royal Opera House. I could go on and on and on. He is also the co-director of Tangram, a collective of composers and performers of Chinese and Western instruments, newly appointed associate artists at LSO St. Luke's. So um, that's just uh, a snapshot of what, what he's up to. And we talked to him a 
about his his experience as a British Chinese man growing up and sort of feeling more and more connected to his Chinese roots and wanting to explore that. He talks about some of the challenges that Chinese people and other Asian cultures have faced in the West and particularly in, in the classical world. And obviously there are some issues they're still dealing with, yeah. that, that unfairness and, and racism that does take place. Uh, That's right. Hence, so, yeah. anti-opera. He talks a bit mm. about that. All yeah, links yeah, yeah. in. Well, he also talked to us about his love of musical theatre. Which which I obviously agree with. And, yeah, uh, likewise. I'm a huge, as, as are you. Yeah, yeah. Huge musical theatre apologists, aren't we? Absolutely. And... <laughs> I'm sorry, and I couldn't decide whether you'd frozen or not there. No, no, I, well, I had frozen. Yeah. <laughs> and we talk about enjoying art and finding a balance in life, not working too hard. That's right. Which I think we're striking that balance pretty well at the moment, don't you? <laughs> yeah, I'd say so. Very well indeed. Yes. But Alex, he's a great guy and it was a lovely interview. So I hope you enjoy it as well, listener. Listener, um, go ahead. Here we go. Um, settle in. This is Alex Ho. Thank you so much for coming to see us when you go on this epically busy week for you. No, isn't not it? at all. Thanks, <laughs> thanks for inviting us. Uh, yeah, exciting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, what, what does this week entail for you? Because you talk us about your your project you're doing, and yeah, uh, you must be in rehearsals. We're about to go and do it now. Yeah, exactly. So, really excited to go up to Manchester on the 16th, which is Wednesday, and that's when we'll start rehearsals for this new piece for the Manchester Camerata. So, I've written a piece for. 13-player ensemble, which will then be um, premiered in Gorton Monastery, which is where the Camerata are now based, um, kind of 20 minutes outside the city centre of Manchester on Thursday. Um, and that will be conducted by Ellie Slorak. Oh, brilliant. Brilliant. What a lovely setting. That's where they're based at the monastery. Yeah, it is. Oh, I didn't yeah. realise wow. that. Because I was nice. thinking, it, so when where it's performed, mm. is it in an... In my mind, mm. it was going to be in some sort of old monastery. And is that the deal with it? it? Is, oh, it yeah, actually it is. It is a very old monastery, exactly. Wow. It's, um, yeah, it's really exciting. I think it's the story of the monastery is like itself incredible, as you probably know, but kind of a, a site which has gone through lots of different phases, including like severe dereliction. Yeah. Um, and so now that the camera has made it, it's home along with various other institutions. It's a really nice kind of rehabilitation for for the site. Yeah. Yeah. So is it quite a boomy space? I'm, I'm picturing, a, imagining a boomy space. <laughs> yeah, me too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it will be. So it was something I was, I was trying to bear in mind that it's, yeah, the space is, is huge and extremely, extremely resonant. <laughs> yeah. So any sound will just be like kind of overwhelmed by the sheer resonance um, of the space. But it will be quite a grand sound, I think, naturally, which is exciting. But yeah, very different to a a recording studio or like a, even a concert yeah. or in that sense. Yeah. yeah. So d does that affect what you, how you um, orchestrate this? Um, yeah, definitely. Um, in short, just trying to be very careful how many like big, thick textural things yeah. I do to make sure that it doesn't just get <clears throat> lost in the space. But yeah, definitely you've got to be aware of where the piece is going to be performed. But it's a, I don't know, that can also be a false friend, right? Because like, you know, for repeat performances, it... Yeah, you know, there's a likelihood that it won't be in the monastery, but you know, I don't know what, what other monasteries there are in the UK. Yeah, you could find 
It's the one down. Where do they make uh, Buckfast? Isn't that down Buck, there? Buckfast in Devon? Devon. There you go. We'll have a word. I see <laughs> a tour coming on. That's I can. The major monasteries of the UK and Ireland. Yeah. Oh, you'd find a load out there. That would be yeah, great. Yeah, <laughs> so this was a commission for the Royal Philharmonic Society, mm. wasn't it? What was the kind of... Um, what, what was your brief for it? Yeah, so the... Yeah, RPS is an incredible organization so each year they have a um, composer program and I think traditionally there are maybe like five or six maybe six or seven composers each year and so the idea is that each composer gets paired with a different um, organization Um, and so there are lots of um, different instrumentations that were available and so I I was paired with Camerata and the brief that came from the Camerata then was to respond specifically to um, the work they do in the community and so the Camerata moved to um, Gorton, like relatively recently, I think in the last couple of years, I forget exactly when. Um, but as part of the work they do, they also work with a lot of different communities there with like a lot of different programs. So that includes um, school children and it also includes a, a music cafe. And so this music cafe is something which happens every Wednesday for two hours in the morning. And it's basically for people um, in care homes so they can come to the monastery and basically just like make music together and their carers will come as well and I was fortunate enough to be there on, um, on a very nice summer day a couple of months back and it was like an extremely wholesome affair and obviously yeah. like having been there only once it was just like like barely scratching the surface of any of it but even then just even on a first visit seeing how meaningful making music could be for not only the people in care homes but also their carers and you know it's it's obviously a very intense profession um and the, like, the way the musicians or the camerata led that um music cafe was yeah really inspiring and so mm. i was just trying to find a way to um respond to that amazing work that they do oh that's excellent so are they involved in is it just is the piece purely for the camerata or is there a community involvement within the piece yeah so this was a conversation i was having <laughs> with them so it's it's ended up being a piece just for the camerata <laughs> um there were various iterations of the piece at, at the start of i guess the kind of ideation phase which did involve audience participation um for various reasons it, it, it hasn't quite worked out on on that level but nevertheless like the piece is very much kind of I guess well the name of the piece is is carved in Gorton stone um and so I guess it's it's trying to be like a a homage of of the work that they do so hopefully the audience will feel involved at least in on that level even if they're not oh yeah sure performing (laughs) as well yeah Gorton stone is that is that is that the sort of stone they have around there? Is that so? I'm totally not at all. No, not what, at all. I've, I've just made it up. Oh, really? really? <laughs> I mean, there is stone in Gorton, but I, I, you Gorton could have really stone. weaved a massive yeah, line. I know. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you don't know what Gorton stone is? Yeah, yeah, oh, so yeah, yeah. You see it on all the houses. It's, all, it's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, GS, GS. No, um, no. So the, the idea, um, in short, behind the title is, um, I guess, like. By paying homage to Gorton, I was interested by the the history of the monastery. And um, as I was saying, kind of going through different phases of like care and, and, and lack of care, um, it's been a real journey for it. And I guess in my head when I was writing the piece, I kind of imagined that as 
an audience member, you're looking at an imaginary stone carving of the history of Gorton. Um, and this, and I guess like coming with that then, like the idea of uh, um, like a rich, a rich history and one that is quite like, um, one, one which I feel that the community can be and are proud of. Um, and I guess also something to do with that, the tactility of that image, like kind of, I had this like image in my head of people like running their fingers across this stone carving, which tells the story. Um, and I guess on, on the other hand, then like, I guess part of the piece, which I write a little bit about in the program note is that the stone carving is unfinished um, in the same way that the monastery, um, whilst it has come a long way since that moment of dereliction, like that, you know, they're still looking for funds and still looking for um, support, not least so that they can put the organ back into the monastery. And so oh, I guess wow. it's to do with that journey yeah. and history. Mm. Oh, it sounds fantastic. There's been music there over the years, but not so much anymore without an organ, maybe. I mean, I mean now, now there's the orchestra there as well. Yeah, but, exactly. But what was there in the past? Would, would the, the monks have played music? Yeah, or? exactly. So it, it, it was the home of um, Franciscan monks. Um, mm. I've got to be honest, I don't quite remember all the details of, of what? What, the, what the original site. <laughs> I mean, it's <laughs> But no, I mean, and, and, like, and so with, with that order there, yeah. That there would have been chance and so that that's yeah, also something yeah. which features in the piece a kind of it's not a literal um use of of plain chant but um once upon a time I, I used to sing in choirs at, at university where we did a lot of kind of anglican church music which involved like chant and stuff like that um and so part of the idea of homage was also like creating a homage i guess to, to the music that that the monks like many centuries ago may may have performed and may have sung and that's not to say that this piece is very specifically rooted in um christianity like i'm, I'm not religious at all in that respect but perhaps because of that then the the piece became a piece about um faith ultimately and the amount of faith that communities have had to have to make Gorton monastery what it is today is really um yeah really really inspiring so um yeah, that was uh, that was an additional layer yeah. to my thinking. Yeah, so there's some singing in this, is there? In, Not so much singing, but it's like they are using um, a kind of a badly memorised version of uh, the, the chant from Imparadisum, so part of the, mm. the Anglican mass. It's okay. one of those traditional chants. Yeah. Do you know that one? You nodded like you knew that one. I did, well, in Paradisum, actually, the first one I came to mind was from the, it's the Requiem, 4A Requiem. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Know that? that? Well, I've, I've heard it a bit, a bit. <laughs> Don't make me sing it. <laughs> Go on, do you know it? No. If only we had mics. All <laughs> <laughs> right, moving on. <laughs> so they're sort of playing that, but on instruments. On instruments, and, and, exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So what's the, what's the instrumentation for this piece? Yeah, so it's uh, Symphonietta. So essentially one, instrument of each kind of orchestral yeah, instrument yeah. you like so for woodwind I've got to count my hands now horn, <laughs> trumpet the trombone scene. yeah exactly <laughs> yeah so it's 13 piece instrument all the strings all the woodwind yes um, all the brass and a percussionist percussion and what as my percussion can that could be anything really can it? yeah what, what it's, it's always a bit of a false presence it's saying something yeah. it's percussion it doesn't mean anything <laughs> yeah, at all right. um, so the percussion part was very much inspired by uh, the activity of the music cafe that I saw. So in the music cafe, 
basically every single participant would have some kind of percussion instrument and that would basically be handbells or like a single chime of a glockenspiel and um, I guess you know practically it means it's, it's very easy to make sound and, and it, it's a very like pleasing sound as well but also particularly in that space and the bells are no longer there either there's something really powerful about these this, this community with their own kind of handheld bells like kind of almost recreating the sound mm. which has quite um, I guess like religious connotations to it and so the the percussionist in in this piece carved in Gorton Stone is uh, is playing a really important role it, it's the piece is almost basically like a mini bell concerto actually so the percussionist playing different kinds of bells playing different and um, handbells playing glockenspiel and then ultimately that all being transformed into tubular bells as a way of like imagining what it would be like if the bells were put back into the space and if the organ was put back into the space. So then how often when you have a commission and then you're going to take it on have another life somewhere else will you rework things rejig things is that something you do generally? Yeah um, it is something I do yeah it's um it's kind of part and parcel, I guess, of, of what you what you kind of decide subconsciously when you make kind of site-specific pieces, which is kind of like, you make your bed so you sleep in it. <laughs> so, yeah. And I, I have no issue with that. I think the way that I work creatively is very specific to the circumstances. So that won't only be specific to the location, like like a monastery and with the acoustic that comes with it, but also the performers. Um, yeah. And so, like, often in my practice, I'll have quite I like to have quite like intense um professional relationships I guess with with the people who will play my music um or sing my music and so with that then comes the idea of like just like social bond I think which is super important to me um the consequence then as you say is that you know if other people come and it it has it has happened like quite a lot recently as well but like you know we we're really taken by this piece where we have slightly different you know, instrumentation requirements for whatever reason, and there are so many different reasons for that. Um, would you be able to to orchestrate it, reorchestrate it, rearrange it, whatever it is? And um, as a on on principle, like I'm more than happy to do yeah. that because it it will only mean that the piece is kind of more specific to those to those people, which hopefully will make it a more special experience for everyone. Yeah, it doesn't feel like you're having to lose any kind of integrity with it. I guess, I guess that's how you exactly. choose yeah, how to do it. Because yeah. I was watching Untold, um, a clip from oh. the Round Chapel. Mm, I keep saying yeah. the Round House. I keep Sorry. Saying that as well. <laughs> <laughs> I, I got it's married incredible. in the Round Chapel. Yeah. Oh. I was like, oh, lovely. You know, that's amazing. amazing. Yeah, it's a cool place to get married. Amazing. Yeah. Again, a very boomy space, actually. Yes. So. Yeah. Very oh, similar yeah. choreography, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah all that. All that. We performed that for the wedding <laughs> yeah so nice of Thanks you to for do doing that, that yeah. <laughs> um, but, but that's coming back up this year is that right that yeah. you're taking it now so is that going to be a similar because again as you were saying very site specific being in the round mm. and is that how it's going to work it's going to Rotterdam right and exactly somewhere else. yeah but Belgium as co- well yeah, yeah it's such a good question so that's a um that's an Antioch fair, which I can't do. In a oh, second. go on. What does that yeah. mean? <laughs> Come to it in a second. Sorry. So, <laughs> so much to ask. <laughs> um, I guess I probably should start with Antioch fair. I mean, um, for one reason or another, I like the majority of my work at the moment is within opera. Um, I 
have a tense relationship with Opera and I know I guess we can come on to I know Opera's been in the news a lot in mm-hmm. classical music in the last couple of days and then the last week um, but I guess over the last couple of years the tension that I'm speaking of with Opera um, are the very clear social issues to me that that reside very like concretely within that within the industry and within the creative space and in particular something then which Untold is trying to respond to is the way that um, East Asian identities have been portrayed in opera historically so I'm thinking of characters called Ping Pang and Pong in Chirindo I'm thinking of um, the kind of stereotypical um, kind of almost crystalline extremely over sexualized feminine figure in Madame Butterfly I'm thinking of um, Yellow Face which is being used still to this day Sydney Mm. Opera House 2022 in March is is one example and many other examples come to mind obviously Um, these issues are very present they, they are, they're right now and not only in opera not only in the lack of representation in classical music but obviously also in wider society um, you know over the pandemic racism towards East Asian communities skyrocketed it absolutely skyrocketed um, I mean the, the stats which have been published somewhere in the Independent and the Guardian separately are, are shocking we're talking that you know stats of like doubling basically and this is from a place where in 2017 the Guardian reported that Chinese communities in the UK were um, kind of racially harassed the most um, mm. in in terms of kind of cultural identity. And so this is coming from a place of like, it's already terrible mm. and COVID has not only made it worse, but it, like way worse. And so the interesting thing then is that we first started the idea of Untold um, like kind of directly in response to that 2017 article and the report that came out with it. Um, and so this first phase ended up being a 45 minute stage work, um, which was scored for dancer, counter tenor and Chinese and Western instruments. And it was a piece that I co-created with Julia Cheng, who's an incredible Olivia nominated um, director and, and choreographer. Um, and so the piece really is looking at how we can represent East Asian identities in opera um, and so then with it, it it really did feel to us kind of radical to have a full creative team of East Asian artists um, and you know the way that we I guess like the story is to do with it as well to do with the idea of it being an anti-opera but it's it's essentially a retelling of a Chinese folk story called Ye Xian um, and that was one of the it, it, it's a little known predecessor of the Cinderella story. Yes. Um, I thought yeah. that when I was listening. I had no yeah. idea that it was. I, I Because when I first watched it, I hadn't read that as the background. Mm. That it, 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 I mean, it sounds very much like it is. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the arc is exactly yeah. the same. You know, there's essentially a female um, protagonist who has a very bad relation with her, with her stepfamily. And, you know, instead of a glass slipper, it's a golden shoe. Instead of a print, it's a king. But, like, basically the the way that the story, the folk story resolves, like Cinderella, is that this female protagonist fits into a shoe and goes and lives happily ever after. Um, and so the idea then was that we are exploring the sense of not belonging, of not fitting in with a story which was about fitting into a shoe, basically. And obviously the, what comes with it then is this transnational journey between Cinderella and Ye Xian, um, this kind of 
journey between um, China and the West, which, yeah, is is well-trodden, of course. Mm. Um, and I should hasten to add that we... Um, it's a retelling of the story, so I guess it's it's important to say then that we, we actually adapt the end of the story so that um, instead of this very kind of heteronormative and patriarchal ending where she lives happily ever after with, with the he, um, for various reasons which we go into, Yesian leaves and the king never finds her, never finds her to put on the shoe and she finds her own path in the world. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. So is that, is that the, is it going to get longer than 45 minutes or is it, is that the plan? Yeah, exactly. So we're currently developing it with um, Belgian based producers, Music Theatre Transparent, who are super supportive and and a really lovely team to work with. So we're really excited to be developing it into what will ultimately be um, probably a 60 to 70 minute piece. Um, And we're kind of working with them to present something um in spring next year so we'll be presenting something at flemish opera in ghent and then we'll be moving it to rotterdam um that theater is amazing we went to rotterdam just i went this year it's amazing really cool fab love it how come you were there oh just i was just visiting as a tourist love it it's the (laughs) best reason yeah yeah it was so good never would usually think my friend bought it as a present for me to go it was so fun so easy on the eurostar as well so quick Ah, such a good place Mm. and a really strange mixture. So it's actually kind of, in some ways, it's similarly like you feel like there's different influences coming in everywhere. You Mm. really feel it in that city. Yeah, Yeah, that's great. It's extraordinary, really, that considering what you were just saying, you know, about the racist attacks on East Asians and just generally the whole Mm. bad feeling, that it, it doesn't feel like it's something that's talked about a whole you know you don't feel like it's the present thing in the media do you it's extraordinary Mm. that you know it's increased so much and yet it's not something you're reading about day to day and it's it's amazing that there isn't kind of more representation like like your company says tangram Mm. isn't it yes Um, exactly and is that a sort of cross arts organization isn't it yeah it's um I don't really know what we are. We kind of we kind of change every change our minds every like month apparently, um, in in a good way I hope. But uh, yeah, so Tangram is a it's an artist collective um, which I co-founded and co-direct with brilliant Yangchen um, player singer songwriter as well um, Raylan Yont, and so we are a group of nine artists, um, composers as well as um, performers of Chinese and Western instruments, and we. Um, we do creative things, hopefully, um, about transnational Chinese cultures um, with music at the core. Um, and the reason why I'm kind of kind of tiptoeing around like saying what we do is because one of the things that interests us is creating, um, kind of seeing each project as a production as mm-hmm. opposed to a concert. So, you know, we we have done concerts. We do a lot of commissioning because we have a very unique instrumentation: um, flute, young chin, percussion, and piano. Um, there was no existing music for this concert <laughs> um, three years ago. Um, so yeah, we we do standard. We have done standard concerts in the past. We um, tangram other performance for Untold as well, and so it's a piece which requires each artist not only to play their instruments but to perform physically and so that's part of Julia's really exciting challenge as a director and choreographer to make these people 
move in a convincing way and these people includes me because I'm performing in it <laughs> as well um, and I'm a terrible dancer so um, yeah we I guess we, we like to do different things we've done simpo- like you know we're so we're associate artists at LSO St Luke's until 2025 which is an incredible opportunity for us and we're very grateful for the support from the London Symphony Orchestra as well but one of the things which they are incredibly supportive of is is finding a way to um, support our vision of doing things beyond standard concerts. So our most recent production was in August, um, a production called Our Silence is Your Silence. And that was basically a, a celebration-ish of the 70th anniversary of 4 Minutes 33. So oh, yeah. the kind of the seminal piece around silence. Mm. And the thing which interested us about that was John Cage, the composer, inverted brackets, of this piece, um, was heavily inspired by Zen Buddhism. And so we, and and Taoist cultures, and so we kind of put together a program um, which, on the one hand, celebrated 4 Minutes 33 and and the the anniversary of that, and on the other hand, framed it within a larger context of different creative responses to silence from creators from Taoist cultures, from Chinese cultures. Um, And so I guess it's a kind of double thing of celebration, but also genuinely kind of trying to find a way to decenter the way that that John Cage um, sits, I guess, within Uh, this this much larger culture and, 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 and spiritual practice. Oh, wow, that sounds amazing. So, oh, sorry. so I was going to say, so but you're, the way you perform these pieces seems quite theatrical mm. as well, and like the, you know, the movement as well. And um, I saw a clip on YouTube. So I'm pouring a tea as I ask this question. <laughs> it's the really best way. I, I, doing well. I feel like this is like <laughs> it, this is kind of like a music cafe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. So anyway, I love it. <laughs> um, we should do this every time. Mm-hmm. Carry on. <laughs> there's a clip on, on YouTube I watched of of the piece at St Luke's, but it started like off stage and then you walk on stage and it's like there's maybe, oh, some, yes. some, maybe some hand bells or something yeah. or some percussion going on. And yeah, I just, and I think that's just something else where it, there's a similar theatricality to, to the performance. Mm. Um, and I mean, other pieces I've seen of yours as well online, um, mm. that just seems to be a, a big part, but particularly with this with this ensemble, that's, that, that's the case, is it? If you've got a a director, you say, that's involved, or a choreographer? So we, we have directors and choreographers involved kind of by project. So Julia Cheng isn't, you know, kind of part of Tangram um, officially. Like, she's not a Tangram artist, but she is the director of, of this Tangram project. Yeah, yeah. And so we've had different directors by project, and we'll have different directors for projects in the very near future, as well and so yeah absolutely we like we work with different people who you know specialize in non-musical things to kind of realize the the vision of the of the piece i mean i think the piece which you're talking to is um it's actually the very first piece that um i wrote for the musicians of tangram it's a piece called tell them we were here Um, and yeah that was good for flute yangchen and percussion and so can mm. I just very quickly yeah, cut in and ask what young chin? That's a great question. Yeah. Please, <laughs> please do tell. I felt I didn't know what to seem ignorant. Well, we we Not know, but all. maybe the listeners don't. That's yeah, right. that, we... that's totally legit. <laughs> of course, um, a young chin is a Chinese hammered dosma, and so what okay. that looks like then um, is very similar to a Hungarian symbolum, which some listeners might be more familiar with. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, essentially yeah. <laughs> <right>? sure. <laughs> but carry it's on. A, uh, it, it's a it's a box, a wooden box. Um, kind of the height of a desk, if you like, and there are 144 strings going horizontally 
across the box and you play it um, usually with bamboo mallets. And so it's... Oh, okay. Yeah, I can visualise like it. Like, yes, yeah. yeah. You've written quite a lot for that instrument, haven't you? Yeah, I have. And I guess this, this kind of speaks to what I was talking about earlier in terms of writing for specific performers. And so um, Raylan, who is the, 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 the co-directing co-founder of Tangrammer and the, the young chin extraordinaire, um, is a person who performs all, this, all these pieces. And they, the pronouns are they, them. Um, they have an incredible kind of creative spirit. You know, not only the way that they bring um, to life music, but their energy in, in conversations, in collaborative processes. I mean, in Untold, for instance, I mean, they have many skills. And in Untold, they are performing um, Chinese martial arts as well as, <laughs> as, as well as Yang Chen. And so in that way, Untold is never going to be performed by another group until you find someone who played the Yang Chen and does Chinese martial arts. And I mean, like, yeah. kind of properly trained in, in Chinese martial arts. It's a hard gig to death that one out. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, the death there is just like trembling. <laughs> <laughs> so, then, yeah. What else is their background? Do they do, yeah. a, a, is it percussion or, or, or key, so, keyboards? No, so I mean, I mean Yang Chen is very much... Just Yang Chen. Like, yeah, exactly. I mean, in, in the way that anyone would specialise in, in any instrument, I guess. Yeah. Um, Raiden grew up in... Uh, San Francisco, um, studied there, graduated um, from Harvard in, in environmental sciences. Um, wow. So, yeah, lots of, <laughs> lots of skills, lots of, lots of talent, which I'm just like constantly in awe of. And it's one of those things where, like, Raiden has that Californian, they're probably going to be listening back to this, but they know anyway. Raiden has that, like, extremely slick, like, Californian vibe, very mm. chill, so charismatic. And like often, you know, we have to both share the stage to like present concerts and like they're just, just being them. And I'm just like, hi, I'm like an awkward British, like <laughs> London born, like a little fella. And I'm like, it's, it's a tough gig. That's a tough gig, I've got to say, yeah. That's yeah, a great yeah. foil. You don't want two of the same. Yeah, exactly, there. that's no, the way I see it. perfect, perfect. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but there's, within that one instrument, yes. it, there's so many sounds, isn't there? So many sounds. It's, yeah, it's it's incredible instrument. And like, you know, it's, it's interesting because on the one hand, I think it, it's very easy to be like, oh, there aren't enough, there aren't enough, um, there isn't enough, sorry, music or, or space within the UK for Chinese instruments. And I guess objectively that's true. At the same time, there's, there's the very real element, which is that it depends on players being available. You know, I, I think in the UK off the top of my head, maybe there are two or three young Chin players who, who you know, play to a, a high standard. Um, how many violins are there here? You know, like how many yeah. violins are there in, are there yeah. in Europe? So it, it totally depends on um, the players who will often come from different countries, um, from different continents, whether that be North America, whether that be Asia, East Asia. Um, but I think at this point, it's, it's, it's really important, I guess, I, I shout out to um, the UK Chinese Music Ensemble who... Um, are led by Chung Yu, who's an incredible pipa player, uh, which is a Chinese lute. And she plays a guqin as well, which is a Chinese zither. Mm -hmm. And I guess for the last, I don't even know how long, three or four decades, she's really been um, kind of representing in a, in a big and really strong way Chinese traditional Chinese music in the UK in a way that just, yeah. If, if her and this 
organization weren't there like none of us and Tangram wouldn't be here either so mm. well, so when did you guys form the uh, when did Tangram because mm. you were you've studied at you studied at Oxford and Cambridge mm-hmm. didn't you I'm, that's tricky isn't it Oxford and Cambridge I mean who do you side with <laughs> boat race time come say on neither neither <laughs> Lots were, you, of, yeah. can, were you connecting with these players then when you were studying? Not at all. Not at all. And, and that, it's been a real personal journey for me as well, mm. to be honest, where I, I grew up in London. My parents are from Hong Kong. Um, I went to Oxford, which is one hour west of London. Then I went to Cambridge, which is one hour east of London. Now <laughs> I'm back in London. So, like, you know, I'm, I'm like the least well-traveled person ever. Um, but it's been a journey for me as well, genuinely trying to explore my Chinese heritage in what feels like a always like I, I've started that journey too late in the sense that when I was at university I I wasn't really interested in it it was no one's fault except my own um, my parents sent me to Cantonese school when I was four and I was so bad at it and like so unwilling to go that they were very kind to let me not not, not go to Cantonese school which is now like you know the classic thing with my Cantonese now is kind of in Cantonese. It's like sick teng, sick gong, which means that I understand a lot of Cantonese because my parents speak to me in Cantonese. My mum speaks to me in Cantonese, but I reply back in English. And so it's one of those stupid things. Anyway, so let's cut the long story short. Like I wasn't involved in that sense creatively when I was studying at Oxford and Cambridge universities. I was very much Western education. I, I grew up as a pianist. Um, you know, we were studying Schubert, Bach. Palestrina, Boulez. Um, and so the, the kind of hinge moment then was um, two things, actually. The first was um, a commission which came just after I finished at Oxford from um, the Shanghai Philharmonic Orchestra. And so they commissioned me to write a piece for Erhu, which is a Chinese fiddle um, and orchestra, um, which is an incredible experience and really humbling um, to have that opportunity. Um, I had no idea what an Erhu was. I, I literally didn't know what it was. And Verity probably knows too. Of course. <laughs> it's Chinese fiddle. Chinese, yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, I mean, I, if you hear it, I think a lot of people will know the sound because it's kind of iconic. Um, yeah. I think particularly now in an age of you know, <clears throat> greater access to different cultures and different sounds and the way that that proliferates in public discourse, like Shang-Chi, for instance, the Marvel yeah. film, these sounds are probably slightly more familiar than, than they were back back when I was growing up but the interesting was I didn't know what an Erhu was but then as soon as I saw it and as soon as I heard it I knew what it was because these were the martial arts films I used to watch as a kid and so those are the soundtracks which were you know made up of Erhu and, and Guqin and Guzhang and, and Yang Chen all these different instruments um, and my mom was like how do you not know what this is and that was like how do I not know what this is like that is like <laughs> properly embarrassing um, so that was one thing so it kind of made me like really start thinking internally like what like what is wrong with me like how have I not um engaged with this more and then the other thing was meeting Raylan um I met them in 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 Boston we had a, a mutual friend and um it so happens that when I met them in the spring 2018 they were um they were about to come to London uh, on a scholarship to do some masters at uh SOAS and then at Goldsmiths um and so that moment meant that in London, we basically just met up and just had a bunch of conversations. Like, should we work together? It sounds like we're really interested in similar things. And so I guess since then, that's become um, a really important part 
of, of who I am as, a, as an artist. Yeah. I mean, it seems to be going very well. I mean, I mean the, the LSO uh, St. Luke's thing, that, that's massive, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, they're so kind. I mean, it, it kind of came out of an existing relationship I had with them when I was doing one of their composer schemes called LSO Sound Hub, which is an incredible mm. resource for composers where it's one of those dream briefs where they're like, you have the LSOs um, and LSO St. Luke's resources at your fingertips. What do you want to do? Oh, um, great. It's just like, <laughs> but a black blank page. Yeah. It's and just, do, you, do you love that when they absolutely. say that? I mean, it's, it was incredible. It was the first time I'd ever had a brief wow. like that for me back in 2018. And it was really lovely, like getting to know the organization, um, you know, Andrea East, who's who's there, who's still there now, and was there when I when I began working with the LSO, who's head of lots of many important things. Catherine Madal, managing director. You know, these people have followed Tangram's journey because because we launched in 2019. So I didn't think I, I don't think I actually answered that question. We asked, <laughs> we, we launched in 2019, and so this is our third year, um, and we launched at LSO St Luke's, but that was part of a festival called Chinese Arts Now, and so that kind of was a, a slightly bizarre coincidence where I was working with the LSO and then Shines Arts Now were having programmed, were, were programming us there anyway. And so Catherine McDowell, LSO Andres, they've like, they've really followed our, our journey over the last three years and it's really special um, that uh, they trust us in this way and, and we trust them and it's a lovely relationship. Oh, it's so great to have that backing and just, yeah. yeah. Mm. So that, that piece you were asked to do, yeah. what, what did you decide to do? Yeah, so that was a piece I wrote for um, a trio of instruments and Raylan features again. Yeah. Um, Raylan's really becoming a theme of this yeah. episode, <laughs> in no bad way. Um, you yeah. got their number? Sorry, <laughs> yeah, <James. exactly. laughs> Buzz them in. Uh, Raylan, we love you. Um, uh, so that was a piece for uh, Yang Chin, uh, clarinet and viola. And there's a piece called Spiraling Scrolls, an 18 minute piece for Spiraling Scrolls. And the instruments were amplified. And that was basically a piece which um, was kind of at the start of, of the journey I was just describing in terms of engaging with, with like who I am and who my, I don't know, heritage and all these questions around identity and that kind of thing. Um, and that was a piece about distance. Um, it was imagining what it would have been like if I'd grown up in Hong Kong, which was a very real, a really real possibility. Lots of things meant that that wasn't the case. Um, but uh, it was about distance, about cultural distance, um, temporal distance, as well as geographical distance. And so in short, the idea was that throughout the piece, these instruments, Yang Chin, clarinet and viola were amplified um, and so we, we had the sound coming from speakers as, as well as on stage. And then towards the end, I guess, like after this kind of cri crisis moment, if you like, the, sorry, actually you should say, so the instruments are also um, distanced themselves. So we have the young chin on one side and then the clarinet and viola on the other side, and they're kind of playing together. Um, but because they're amplified and the speakers are in the middle, we don't get a sense of this distance at all, um, sonically, visually, yeah, yeah, yeah. sonically, no. So there's that kind of fragmentation. Um, but then towards the end of the piece, the amplification is cut. So suddenly, like, the distance is revealed musically, sonically, because we, like, the sound are coming from these instruments, from these, like, this, this 10 meter distance. And I guess that was kind of one of the points I was trying to explore, like, these, these distances which you don't realize are there and they're kind of only there as long as you're conscious of them, but there's something important in that 
as well. Wow, that's cool. So where were, where were the audience for this? Audience was just standard standard audience, um, standard audience, uh, standard positioning <laughs> audience on stage, and then yeah. sorry, musicians on stage, but yeah, there's yeah. a distance between I the see, musicians. Right. But hang on, you, you could have had a whole orchestra if you wanted to. Right. So, I mean, I say blank brief, like, now nah, LSO are going to be phoning me up. Like, Why did you say that? Um, you could have had the LSO. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. Because we bother them. <laughs> so the, the Sound Hub is, is a program which is a blank slate on, on a chamber scale. Oh, okay. On a chamber scale. And so yeah. lots of brilliant things come out of that. It, it's slightly separate to the orchestral workshops that they do as part of the Panathenaic scheme, which is kind of a separate scheme where composers write, you're going to write an orchestral piece, you're going to write a three minute piece, which we're going to workshop. And then some people will be selected to write longer pieces. Soundhub is like, you can work with any of the musicians in the LSO, you can do any chamber piece, but you can do, you can bring external artists like Freyden, um, you can work in an interdisciplinary way. And so when I was doing it, there were four of us on the scheme and two of the others, um, incredible artists, Jamie Mann and um, Sun Ting are both amazing composers. Um, they both did incredible projects. Jamie worked with a lighting designer, Ben Zamora, on a piece which was for music and uh, light sculpture. And like just to like hint at the extent which the LSO were, you know, the dream producers were like, you have an idea, we're going to make it happen. Mm. Part of the piece required complete pitch black, which... I guess in some ways is, is normal, but like it needed pitch black in the sense that the emergency exit lighting has had to be switched off, which means you've got to go to the council to oh. ask permission to, for this to happen. And, and they did it. Wow. And they did it. And so it was an incredible, this amazing lighting sculpture, which was kind of flashing with the music. And it was, yeah, it was really, um, really special. And then, you know, Sun Kutting wrote a piece with huge projections <coughs> and with a dancer called Wang Chao. Um, and yeah, so that's just a, a hint of like the the blankness of that of that <laughs> um, slate that composers are lucky enough to work with through Soundhub. Yeah. That's so great because you do a, an awful lot of commissions for different people, don't you? And mm. is it often the case that you'll you'll receive things that are quite a, a clear remit, I guess? Or how often do you get that kind of luxury for a blank? Yeah, slate? it's it's very rare. Um, oh, it's. <laughs> It's kind. It's kind of right. <laughs> um, I think, like, yeah. I mean, you know, sometimes I'll be commissioned to write a piece for a string quartet or solo violin, and it needs to be six minutes. It needs to be twelve minutes, like whatever it is. You know, there'll be other pieces where you have a blank slate, like Sound Hub, and and like also a, a co commission I received over lockdown from um, the uh, London Sinfonietta and Music Theatre Wales, and their blank slate. Um, was that you're going to work with this person and this person is Elise Ishmael, who's a theatre maker and is just incredible. Like she, she has the, the purest energy and it's, it's a joy to work with her. Um, and it was like <laughs> kind of, a kind of weird blank slate in the sense that it was, it was, this was first lockdown. They were like, you have no instrumentalists available um, <laughs> because it's lockdown. We're not going to be able to, to get people together. We, that they came across my work through the first iteration of Untold, so they, they knew that I was interested in theatre and stuff. Here's a lace who we think you'll work with really well. Like you know, um, go and do it. Here's <laughs> here's your commission fee. Go and go and do it. And so we were just having conversations in the first lockdown where it, everything was everything was weird. 
everything was weird. This was weird as well. It's been like, uh, so what are we going to do? And it was like, what instruments do we have available? What, what kind of sounds can we make? And, you know, Elise is one of those theatre makers who like really makes theatre in, in any, any way that she can. And, and is so resourceful and imaginative in a way, which I like, I w- was teaching me a lot in that process. And we ended up creating a piece um, called Amazon, uh, which is a piece for narration, stop motion animation, which Elise did herself um, and it's beautiful and found sounds. And so we had, I didn't use any instruments for the track. It was the sounds I could make at home. It was these sounds, me like hitting a car. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Less aggressively than that. Um, you know, running up and downstairs, recording myself, um, you know, switching on a, a tap, switching it off, um, doorbells, playing with different um, plates and stuff. So, um, yeah, that, that feels like a, a world away from your six minute string quartet piece. Um, and yeah. it's it's a, it's a really it's a humbling thing for me to be able to do these different processes yeah. I prefer one over the other to be honest it's just in the moment who I'm working with doing know. something like that must like really strips away everything doesn't it as well to have to do found you know work mm. with what you have and yeah. it kind of it's almost like as an instrumentalist when you go back to doing like open strings or something right, to, right. On your, you know it's like Right, back to the beginning, what yeah. to work with. That must have been quite an incredible experience, actually. It was, it was nice. It was, it was great to get my hands dirty. You know, I think composers, and I'm so part of this, but sometimes can be really lazy with being involved in, in what it means to make music. They will sit behind, I say they, I will sit behind a computer screen on, on whatever program I'm using and I'll, I'll think of some kind of sound and I'll write music or I'll riff off it or whatever it is. And then you send the score and the parts off and then, you know, these other people who you have no idea, you don't know who they are, like they'll go and create your music. And that's like, that's not, you know, I'm realizing that's, that's not the process that I want to be a part of. Um, it needs to be much more hands-on. I guess Amazon then was, was a project which was helping me hear that and understand that in myself you know what does it mean for me to make these sounds how am I going to make these sounds what does it mean for a performer then to do this kind of thing um yeah so much to learn yes does that (laughs) kind of then send you off in a different direction then with your with your work absolutely yeah it's I never imagined myself working in theatre or or opera because of the tensions to be honest I was speaking about earlier because it wasn't a space that I felt comfortable comfortable in and you know, I, I come from a middle-class family. Um, and so for me to f- not feel, you know, part of that community, I, I feel like says something um, as well. But then, like, I I think eyes open is, is too much, is, is a bit naive and a bit one-directional, but, like, lots of different factors and lots of different meetings with, with really lovely and, and really amazing listeners meant that I did feel empowered and comfortable enough to begin making work in an opera space. Um, and so that, you know, pieces like Untold, obviously, like, reside as part of that. Um, I'm fortunate enough to be artist in residence with Montpellier National Opera. Um, and the trust which that house have in me is, is yeah, really meaningful. And so, you know, the, I guess it goes back to the blank slate thing where actually it's, it has been these commissions, not the standard ensemble commissions, which I love as well, but it's been the opera commissions which have been like, this is a blank slate, what would you like to do? And I'm like working with um, some really amazing 
artist Francisca Eri, who's a Hungarian director, and Argent Jean-Marie, who's a Haitian um, poet. You know, we'll, we'll come together and be like, we want to do this, and we'll present it to the house, and we'll, they'll be like, okay, how are we gonna, how are we gonna make this happen? Um, which is just so, yeah, it's just so different. Offer it, yeah, I'm sure everybody knows. Interesting in, in many <laughs> different ways. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Are you, are you like in your general life, are you just consuming a lot of art, going to seeing, seeking out artists, going to galleries and watching other operas or yeah, watching other... Yeah, it's a great question. I don't, I never feel like I'm doing enough, ever. <laughs> but I, I try to. And I think recently I've, um, I kind of make that happen a, a little bit more than, than I have done previously. Um, but yeah, it, it is so important. I think it, it's often just the balance of being like, um, you know, being very fortunate to be a little bit too too busy in terms of deadline, deadlines that I need to mm. meet. And so often it'll be like, I literally cannot go out because I need to finish this piece. Yeah. Um, and then at the same time, when I do have a moment, it's like, actually, I would kind of like, I just want to go for a drink with some mates. Like, yeah. I don't really want to go to the opera. <laughs> <laughs> it does work on an opera, you know what I mean? Um, but having said that, I have, I have been out um, recently and it's, um, it's so important. I mean, some things I've seen recently, um, I try, to be honest, I go, I tend to go to more like, I go to fewer concerts actually than, than other things. So I went to uh, Light of Passage, which was a, a dance piece done at the Royal Opera House a couple of weeks ago. Um, Crystal Pike was the director. And um, in, like, in short, that was a piece which was a choreography of Koretsky's Third Symphony, Symphony of Sorrowful Songs. Um, which is a really heavy piece, you know, inspired by the atrocities of World War II concentration camps and words taken from the wars of the concentration camps. It's it's really heavy. And so it's a piece which broadly was about um, migration, the refugee crisis. And it was like the most overwhelmingly beautiful yet despairing experience to see. It was, it was so humbling to be in that space. Um, it was devastating. It, like, it, it totally devastated me um, in, in a really pure way. And I, I'm still like kind of, you know, trying to work out what, mm. like, what, 
what that means for me, but you know, stuff like that. I like I go to musicals quite a lot as well. Dear oh, yeah. Evan Hansen also oh, yeah. totally devastating, beautiful. Yeah. Um that was a funny that's a funny moment actually, because I was scrambling slightly to finish this piece for the Manchester Camerata. And um my uh my partner um had bought these tickets a long time ago to to see Dear Evan Hansen. Um the musical and she's like, like you have to see this and I was like yeah okay let's go we'll go I went and like oh my goodness that really devastated me it devastated me to the extent that like I literally couldn't write music two days afterwards because one I had all the tunes stuck in my head because it's so <laughs> such good, good songs yeah. so good yeah. Yeah. Um, but also like I was just like what is the point of me doing any of this because I'm never going to make something which is as meaningful <laughs> as I was so insecure um, in, and, and I, that, I think that, that also says a lot about where I was in my, in my headspace at that moment as well, actually. But anyway, um, but you, you need to go through those experiences to see see what's out there yeah. and, and know that, yeah, there are so many different ways, so many beautiful ways that art forms can, can manifest and messages can, can manifest. And so, yeah, ultimately in, incredibly inspired by the stuff that, that I yeah. see often, yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, it seems like, you know, if you get, say, oh, what do you want to do? From what you've said, it's like you, you, you think of... Um, people to collaborate with, mm. and 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 maybe something you've seen that will inspire you to write. Um, mm. So it's yeah, it's really important to to see stuff, isn't it? I mean, totally. We did a podcast the other day in London Bridge, and I had like three hours off. I was like, yeah. I don't know what to do. And then you said, Why well, you could go to a gallery or something? And so I went to. I the, did say that. You did say that. <laughs> so I went to the Tate Modern. It yeah. was amazing. It. Yeah. It was so good. Yeah. I've been there in so many years. Yeah. Um, and it's just. I don't know. There's something about that, isn't there? Yeah. Just like, just, just stop in for a second. Mm. Yeah. Got nothing to nowhere to be. Just watch, watch some. I don't know. There's some cool films on there, and yeah. there's yeah. some. It's easy to take it for granted, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. So oh, the National there. Gallery on Friday, yeah. and I just yeah. couldn't get over the fact that you can get close to paintings by Titian and mm. Caravaggio and yeah. and like Monet and all these greats. Just and you're so close, and it's free. Oh, I felt so good about that. Like, it's like, London's great. It's so great yeah, when you yeah. have a few minutes. But like you were saying, well, for you, especially, <laughs> the number of deadlines and commissions you want to have, it must be yeah. hard to find those minutes to make some yeah. time for yourself and to appreciate other things. It can be. I think, yeah, yeah. it's <clears throat> like being very transparent. Like, I, I've, I've realised in the last year, like, where my limit is mm. and, like, I'm working on being healthier with it, which I think is a message that a lot of, um, like, kind of artists at, at the start of their career, like myself, like, need need to hear, to be mm. honest. I think it's, there's this feeling, not just in composers, right, but, you know, artists in a broader sense, but this feeling like you need to be on that treadmill. You need to be, you know, smashing out that that piece. You need to be applying for that, that scheme of what, whatever it is, but, you know, you, you need to take care of yourself as well. Your, your you know, mental health and everything is only increasingly important now. Um, so, yeah, it's been a, it's been a really important learning curve for me, for sure. Yeah, that's yeah. so important. Mm. Well, I wanted to ask about um, the commissions you tend to do. They seem to be sort of no, never longer than about twelve minutes usually. That, that's sort of unless it's like a big like an opera or something mm. like it tends to be would it be like the sort of piece that would go like after an overture or something or instead of an overture like in a big in a concert yeah it, it kind of depends I mean 
Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, uh, yeah, Just operas tend to be slightly longer. Like. Yeah, I mean, orchestral stuff is. I can feel that the the, the the talks about Arts Council of England looming, uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. looming, <laughs> looming. Um, but uh, budget is a very real yeah, thing, right? Yeah. Because you know, with, with a brief, you'll need to know what the commission fee is, and you'll need to know what. Um, the duration is, you know, is, is just the, the practical thing of what that conversation looks like. Um, and so, um, yeah, I, I, and I think it's also to do with the audience appetite and expectation of, um, of our industry. And so, mm. um, you know, I think quite a, a tried and, and tested, if I may say so, like, um, program orchestrally will be to have some kind of new music piece, um, a concerto, and then and yeah. then a symphony. Yeah. Um, which I, I actually really like. I think I think it, 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 there's a, a really nice sense of variety there, and and that's exactly what my most recent orchestral piece was, which was for the um, uh, National Orchestra in Montpellier, where you know they I wrote uh, um, what was it like a seven eight minute overture, and then they did the Martin Viola concerto, and then they did Brahms four. It's a really nice program. Um, but yeah, that, that question in terms of length is, is kind of often beyond the composer's um, power, or the yeah. sphere of influence. You know, those decisions have already been made um, a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. It's <laughs> yeah. where they'll say, do you fancy writing a symphony like for next year or so? When I mean, someone asks, yeah, that... I'll let you know. I'll, I'll call them and be like, it's, does that ever happen? It's does happened. It... <laughs> do, any, do, do people write symphonies these days? Uh, I think some people do. You get the yeah, it's an interesting, it's an interesting question because I think it's, you know, there are so many different ways of, of looking at it, including the very necessary conversations around decolonization and what it means to to write a symphony, mm. which is a genre so embedded, obviously, in what is essentially kind of a, a white hegemonic space. Mm. Um, but that's not to say that we shouldn't write symphonies at all. There are so many different ways that you can take it. But it's, yeah, it's it's there's a lot of baggage I think that potentially comes with it if you choose to engage with it in that way. But um yeah, I guess it's like um you know, it, it's something which has been very nice actually. So I've recently signed with management, so I'm working with Intermusica who are brilliant and they're I'm very grateful for them to be representing me. And um, you know, the, the, these are kind of the conversations I have with myself and I have with them in terms of what is the work that I want to do. Um, and that looks like, you know, length. What, what kind of length piece do I want to mm. do? I want to write, and I'm I'm really excited that you know next couple of seasons I'm I will be writing kind of larger scale pieces in terms of length, but then also larger scale in terms of uh, forces as, as well, which is nice. Um, and so it's I don't I think it's a question that composers don't often think about very actively. Because you know you're, you're desperate to try to find a way to write music, like you'll, you'll write music for whatever, um, and so it, it feels like a, a new and nice question for me to be like, what what are the projects that I want to do? Who are the people mm. that I want to work with going forward, um, and how might that be possible? And when you're doing a commission, like it very rarely would probably get recorded or filmed, mm. right? It, would it just usually be one performance and then it's then it's sort of gone? It's a great question. I mean, personally, something which I'm quite um, careful with is is making sure that performances are filmed and they are recorded because um, you want to be able to listen. I mean, I don't because I don't like listening back to my music, but <laughs> it's, it's, it's good to have. Um, so 
my mom can listen to it if you can't make a concert <laughs> yeah, or whatever. Yeah. But like, yeah. Um, uh, but also professionally, it's, it's important. Yeah, composers yeah. get get your stuff recorded. You can send it to people, um, and you know, performers who want to perform your music, they they kind of need to hear something to know if they want to do it. Um, so it's it's a very necessary practical professional thing, which um, yeah, which you need. Yeah, for sure. Because I mean, particularly with you know social media, it's good to have some sort of visual thing for people to just hear yeah. your music and just it helps with everything, doesn't it? Totally. Yeah. It does. It, yeah, it really does help with everything. And it's, I think, thankfully, I think most of the organisations I've been working with recently have had the resource, which is, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a very big kind of financial burden to get high quality recordings made. And, you know, there's, there's pressure on performers as well. And so, you know, I don't for one second want to trivialise how, um, how many things have to happen for you to, to get a recording of some sort. Um, but yeah, I've been lucky recently to for that not to be traumatic at all. Yeah, mm. oh, good. Thanks, Alex. That was great, wasn't yeah. it? Thank you, Alex. What a lovely guy. Yeah, thanks for giving up an hour of your time to chat to two people you had no idea who they were. <laughs> uh, but hopefully you enjoyed it. Um, and thanks if you're listening to this. Thank you. <laughs> I hope his concert went really well up in Manchester. I'm sure it did. Yeah, yeah. I, I haven't heard if it went well or not, but I'm, I'm well, sure. That's good did. news, don't you? Um, he's also he's got some lots of things coming up this year, but the first thing is on the 28th of January at LSO St Luke's, and that is with Tangram. And I did I say that? Probably already did. No, you, I don't think you did. Oh, I didn't. There we go. No. Uh, it's a new production featuring world premiere from BB Wang's latest music theatre piece for Lunar New Year. There you go. Ah. Oh. Yeah, that'd be great. Get on down there if you're in the vicinity. Brilliant. If you want to know more stuff about Alex Ho, then please go to his website alexhocomposer.com it's very nice isn't it he's also got a soundcloud so you could just pop on there and uh, stick on his music which is soundcloud.com forward slash alexhocomposer there's links down in the description as that's well that's right brilliant great well listen if you're an alex ho fan yeah and you don't want to hear a load of waffle then feel free to switch off now because we just need to tell people anyone who might be interested the results of (laughs) (laughs) the poll that we put out last week about our grade one challenge so this is charlie baker set as a grade one challenge and he said are we going to play either each other's instruments or are we just going to pick one lucky dip at random thankfully our listeners voted the right way and i will be learning the trumpet and seb will be learning the cello yeah what was which, uh, what was the split between the the two I th- options? I think it was seventy one twenty nine. It's absolutely trounced. It trounced yeah, that's, the lucky that's a dippers. Clinical... <laughs> oh, that's definitely a result. <laughs> it's the result we wanted. It is a result. Uh, that's great. So you've got have you got a trumpet already? I do. I've got. Well, I mean, it's Henry's trumpet. I'm going to whisper just in case he's still awake. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's his. I'm going to have to keep it on the down low from him. I don't think he's going to be that impressed by the whole thing. <laughs> okay, okay. How about you? What, do you know what model it is? 
uh, Yamaha trumpet. Oh, Is nice. that right? Yeah. <laughs> it's not a Tomy one, the ones where there's bubbles that come out when you play the notes. <laughs> Although I'd love that. <laughs> um, yeah, I've, I've got a cello. Oh, great. It's in my house already. Do you know what model it is? Once. <laughs> once. I don't know what model it is. <laughs> no, um, I don't know. It's one that my, my brother got. I don't know where. My, my parents got it from somewhere. Okay. And my brother played it for a bit when he was younger. Not not for very long, but um, it's basically been kept in a an outdoor garage. I mean, all garages are outdoor, aren't they, basically? <laughs> but, but for about, I don't know, 10 years. Okay. Covered or uncovered? covered good but not not uh heated or anything i think it's it's definitely no, that's uh, okay that's okay. okay i'm sure well i'm sure it's okay i know a very good man who can um check it out though if you're at all worried very good yeah, okay fixer <laughs> yeah well let's why don't we um let's meet up and we'll compare our instruments yes and, um just show each other <laughs> they work <laughs> Yeah, let's do that. It's a good plan. And pick repertoire, do you think? Yeah. Yeah? Well, should we, I mean, should we work out how to make a note first? <laughs> oh, no, I'm getting ahead of myself, aren't I? Yeah, I mean, that's so, a good I idea. Mean, I mean, I'm sure you can play one hand, one heart, but but just <laughs> just for now. I'm hoping well, to do Star Wars. <laughs> I want to be able yeah. to play the introduction to Star Wars, please. Is that about grade one, do we think? Yes, yeah, okay? about grade one, yeah. Perfect. I think you'll be on Elgar Cello Concerto before you know it. <laughs> All good. Um, cool. That's exciting. And then let's get some we'll get some lessons set up. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And um I guess practice hour or two a day. Oh, at the very least, yeah, definitely. <laughs> I'm excited yes. about this. Hmm. I mean, currently now in January, when we're talking about it and we've got fairly free lives, <laughs> it seems like a fantastic idea. Come on, <laughs> let's come back to this in sort of April, May time. Let's see how we're feeling then. <laughs> Listener, thanks for listening. It's always a um, amazing thing that you do. And Truly. It, it would really help us if you would um, tell people about the show. Mm-hmm. Just share the odd episode um or maybe if you're next to someone's phone they've got it unlocked you could just go on the podcast app and subscribe to it do it that would be great write something nice maybe yeah, in write, apple why don't you write or, a review on yeah. the apple podcasts or, or wherever you listen i love seeing it, a new it review really helps yeah mm. as long as it's not really horrible <laughs> yeah i mean five stars is is the one really if you want to absolutely if you want to do a yeah. review five stars please <laughs> Yeah. Great. Well, look, should we let these lovely people go and then Yes. And we'll be back next week. Yeah. Well, see you later. Bye. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. 
Catch the award-winning movie Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.